fear the night. The strong prey upon the weak. We all like to think we control our own destiny, but there's always somebody pulling the strings. Henry Rollins takes you into a bizarre world of unimaginable terror. In the dark, there is only night visions. Welcome to Haunted Davenport, the podcast covering retro, TV, sci-fi, and horror. With me today are my co-hosts, Allison, my lovely wife, (laughs) and Val, my lovely sister-in-law. Val, can you get uh, some information about this night visions we're talking about today? Yeah, so for today's episode, we decided to watch a couple episodes of the very short-running horror anthology series Night Visions. It ran on Fox from July 2001 to September 2001. That was the first season, and then a very, very short second season that ran for September 2002 on the Sci-Fi Network. It was hosted by Henry Rollins, and... There's only 13 episodes, the um, the last two episodes of which were never aired on Fox and then were aired as a separate movie on the Sci-Fi Network, which was called Shadow Realm, and all they did was splice together the episodes and cut out Henry Rollins' intros and outros, and then that was it, and no one... There's no, like, DVDs. Like, you can buy DVD bootlegs of it, but it's, like, it's a pretty deep cut, and we all watched episodes of it on YouTube. Yeah, actually, it looks like all 13 episodes are available to watch on YouTube right now. Um, That seems it's not streaming anywhere else and not for rent anywhere else, and so we're grateful to whoever taped it off the Chiller Network back in the day and uploaded it to YouTube. I can put a link in the show notes. Yeah, I appreciate it when people who care about certain things that were on TV or, you know, old VHS movies that never made it to a DVD transfer, that those people are keeping the public archive going. So um, we will put a note, we will put a link in our show notes on our website, thehaunteddavenport.com, where you can find a link to directly access those episodes. We are going to go full spoilers in our discussion of two stories from episode three and two stories from episode eight. So if you don't want those spoiled, you can pause this, go watch those episodes on YouTube and come back and join us. Or you can, I guess, get the cliff notes version from us and watch later, which I do sometimes when I listen to shows. So um, you have been warned there will be spoilers. So Val, had you ever, you'd never heard of this show before, right? I'm I'm guessing. I was just about to ask if you two had heard of this show before. So no, I had no memories of this show um, because I was like 
10 years old when this came out. It was not in my purview. Um, I found it by, I think it was in May, I was just on Wikipedia looking for potential things for the Davenport to talk about. And I saw this anthology series from the early 2000s that was hosted by Henry Rollins. And I was like, well, that's got to be excellent. <laughs> so it's just been on a list of media for me to consume. I did a similar thing, but it was it was quite a while ago when I was just looking for um, kind of older horror and sci-fi stuff that I hadn't seen. And I, you know, I was grew up very familiar with things like Tales from the Crypt and the Outer Limits revival and the 80s version of the twilight zone and i was kind of looking for more things like that and i i don't remember it was it was early in the days of streaming so it would have been probably about a decade ago when i first came across this and i watched some of it online and i actually one of the episodes that we're going to talk about today i had seen previously and remembered really liking and so that's why we ended up covering it again but i actually going through and looking at some of the episode synopses and looking at who was in different episodes I remembered that I'd actually seen quite a few of these, but it's, you know, like I said, been over a decade. And then, Drew, you were saying you kind of remembered this from the Sci-Fi Channel? Yeah, so I don't remember. When we first started talking about it, I'm like, holy cow, Henry Rollins, blah, blah, blah. And, and then once we started watching it and I saw that intro and then Henry Rollins pops up, it's like almost non sequiturs. Like he doesn't seem like he's in the show half the time. <laughs> Not really. That like once he popped up, I'm like, oh my God, I totally remember this being on the sci-fi channel. And back then even being like, Henry Rollins, what are you doing on this show? <laughs> it was really entertaining to see him in the final commentary after each story segment. And we might try to include a couple of those. The, throughout the, the Rollins one-liners because they're they're not you know the it's not like the the poetry of a genius or anything which I actually I really love Henry Rollins somebody else wrote this material for him clearly um and I think he's I think he's very entertaining and I've been a fan for a long time but he is just kind of deadpan making these comments and there's kind of like it's almost like um like a weird distillation of when Alfred Hitchcock on the Alfred Hitchcock Presents show would make snide comments about things or like make little little dark jokes with between commercials or at the start and the end of a story segment for that show. Um, yeah, there's, there's so within the, something. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, that's okay. I'm just saying I think it was trying to be in the spirit of that, but it it falls a little flat, but it's also very funny. <laughs> I'm not sure it was intended to be. When I was trying to find like bloggers or people on Reddit who had seen this and were discussing it sort of more in depth, um, someone pointed out, it's like, it's very obvious that they had Henry Rollins just film all of his intros and outros just back to back to back in front of a green yeah. screen. So he just has no idea what the episodes are about. <laughs> it was probably before they even put them together. They were just like, here's a non sequitur where you say something ominous. <laughs> And there's no context. And Henry Rollins is just standing there, just like handsome and menacing at the same time. I just, yes. I adore it. it this was, <laughs> I wish there had been more of him. I wish he had been more engaging, but like a sprinkle of Henry Rollins is probably more than we deserve. Yeah. Well, I think if they had a bigger budget and could have afforded to pay him more, it would have been great if they had just 
given him, you know, maybe they didn't weren't able to show him how like the actual filming of the segments, but they could give him like little little blurbs about each episode, and they could they could have him do like a spoken word rant about each one. <laughs> that would have been so good. But they they don't think they had enough money to pay him to actually do his art for the show. You know. Right. They just, he was a cameo appearance, basically. No, what it kind of reminds me of is when, I mean, like, podcasts do it now, but radio shows used to do it back in the day, where, like, they interview a celebrity, and they're like, hey, as long as we got you here, could you read this thing? And it's like, hey, this is Henry Rollins, and you're listening to QFM, you know, that kind oh of a thing. Goodness. But yeah. it was like, hey, this is Henry Rollins, and you're watching a TV show. Although, <laughs> you ever had the opportunity to have Henry Rollins say you're listening to the haunted Davenport I might die of happiness oh yeah that'd be amazing (laughs) that would be so cool just just to be clear we're not blaming Henry Rollins for this (laughs) no no. I'm pretty Henry Rollins like to a room with just a green background where you think I actually think the most the most egregious thing about like the very short history of night visions is how when Sci-Fi Network decided to air the final two never aired on Fox episodes, 12 and 13. They cut him out. They just, like, ran it together, no Henry Rollins. And I'm like, what an affront. How incredibly <laughs> aggressive. What an, what a rude, hostile act. Unforgivable. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. So another thing I want to mention before we get into, like, the deep weeds of these episodes. So I feel like there's a lot to talk about there. There's a great list of stars that appeared in these different episodes. It's, it's crazy. Like how many people they got for this. So I don't know, maybe that's where the budget went is, you know, they had all these different people. We checked out a couple additional episodes just for fun last night. Um, that we're not actually going to talk about in depth, but the pilot episode has um, Aiden Quinn in it. It's called, that it has a story called The Passenger, and then the second story is The uh, Bocor, and that stars Samantha Mathis. Um, episode two has a great segment called Dead Air that has Lou Diamond Phillips. Um, and gosh, there's just so many, so many different people. Like uh, I saw Natasha Leone did an episode. Amanda what was that? Amanda Plummer is in an episode, and she was, like, in her heyday at this time. Ooh, she did a really good Tales from the Crypt episode that we might have to cover someday, too. She's, yes, yeah. that sounds great. But, yeah, like, that was the thing that struck me, too, when I looked it up, and I was like, okay, this is from the early 2000s, like, within my lifetime. It has a bunch of celebrities who I actually know, which is usually kind of rare for episodes of the Davenport. Yeah. Um, And I'm just like, what is this insane show uh, that has all of these big names? Like, there are some people, like, um, one of the episodes that we're going to talk about really quick, really soon here, um, The View Through the Window stars Bill Pullman and I think I've seen every movie Bill Pullman has been in which I didn't realize until I looked at his IMDB it's like am I like the biggest Bill Pullman fan like how have I seen the entire filmography I think it's just Bill Pullman's in one of those categories where he's just in a lot of great movies too yeah you know 
he did a lot of work in the 90s too which was like you know the core of your childhood so it makes sense that he would right. see so many things because he was kind of everywhere for a while and everybody make the joke about bill paxton or bill pullman and then there's a movie that they did a horror movie that they're in together which i'm blanking on the name of now um but it it's just yeah it was he was pervasive right he was, well, the pre- also... he was the president in Independence Day. You know? yeah, it was, was the first thing I thought of when, like, the chopper lands and he pops out of it. I'm like, yeah. oh, is this, like, the prequel to Independence Mr. Day? President. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So we should just launch into talking. So the first episode that we're going to talk about, um, the first part is a segment that stars Bill Pullman and is actually directed by Bill Pullman because he is an auteur of our times. Um, it's called The View Through the Window. Um, and Bill Pullman plays an army physicist. <laughs> he gets uh, which we'll get into. To, yeah, he gets called to some um, uh, place in the desert. I don't remember if they say where it is, but it's, you know, a desert army outpost. And uh, he is summoned there because a very large, picturesque 19th century farm has just kind of popped up and you can you can't touch it you can't enter it it's just like it's like looking at a tv screen essentially and it's just this idyllic farm with like some sort of folksy lady and like a grandpa type guy who reads uh from a bible book or something like that and then some sort of terrible red-headed child wearing suspenders <laughs> there's, there's um, also Bill- a, a small female child too Oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. Because I was like, I was so like, I didn't know what the ominous thing was going to be. Because I was like, this is rather mundane and very, very similar <laughs> to the the plot of that movie that Amy Adams is in about. Oh, gosh, I'm fumbling this. I can't remember what it's called. Um, Arrival. Oh, it's very similar to Arrival. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. I, this was one of the ones I'd seen before. I'd seen this whole episode before, and I remembered this and the segment that comes after it really well. And I kind of took evil delight in waiting for the ending that I knew was coming, because I was like, I totally remember what happens in this, and I kind of love it. It's so creepy. But it's, it doesn't, it starts off, it's like, it kind of makes you feel like you're, you're, you know you're watching a horror anthology but it starts off with almost like a sort of a Spielbergian family vibe where it's like this man who lost his family previously his wife and son or I think maybe just the son and the wife left him I wasn't real clear on what what Bill Pullman's character's tragedy prior to this was but he's he's very much he's got this hole inside of him and so he sees this idyllic scene and and you wonder if it's gonna end happily where he crosses over, you know, I kind of... Never to be seen again. You know, like something kind of like the the kick the can segment from the Twilight Zone movie where it's like, oh, you just have to accept the, the strange and supernatural and it'll help heal your heart, you know? And that is not what happens in this story, guys. So, um, I was so want pleasantly spoil, surprised. Go, go watch it if you don't want it spoiled because this has a, a really great twist in it and um, we're going to talk about it. So I wanted to mention real quick that uh, co-starring with Bill Pullman in this is Carl Lambley, who if you saw the recent Dr. Sleep film, you would recognize him because he played Dick Halloran. And he was He's also so good in it. 
character on the uh, cop show from the early 80s, Cagney and Lacey. So people, and he's been in so many things. His filmography is huge. And he was one of those guys where you see him and I'm like, I know that face. I've seen this man in other things. And he plays, um, he's not the guy who's like the top in command, but he's basically the guy running the show at this military investigation of this strange phenomenon. And he's an old buddy of Bill Pullman's. So he's sympathetic to his pain. Also, like, Carl Lumley does a fair amount of voice acting for, like, the DC universe. He plays the voice of the Martian Manhunter from Justice League, which was airing right around the same time. And that's where I know him from. I didn't know know that I knew him from there. But he was in a lot of, like, children-oriented television stuff, too, because he was in um, a Disney biopic called The Color of Friendship as well which is about the ending of a, of apartheid in South Africa. Um, oh, wow. Cool. He, yeah. He has like such a extensive um, film and TV history. I was so yeah. like, so delighted to see him. So, um, <laughs> so basically like they decide because Bill Pullman's there brought to like research the whole thing. And they, they, he thinks, I think he, mentions that the the force field around the farm scene is like electromagnetic in nature and so they devise a way to test the barrier after he witnesses a little bit of a cloud of smoke from a small explosion going through and actually making its way through the barrier so he realizes it's somewhat permeable but only occasionally so they start launching ice cubes at it because they don't want to hurt anybody and they don't want to leave, you know, garbage or ammunitions or whatever they could possibly launch on the other side, which I thought was pretty cool that they were being, you know, thoughtful and sort of a leave no trace kind of way. Right. So basically in case this is like a time portal and it's like going into the past, they don't want to like, you know, throw a lighter over into a place that just now figured out how to make matches. Yeah. It's like, Oh, you figured out matches. Here's a Bic. You're not going to drop an obelisk over on the other side and see right. what happens. Yeah, and watch the monkeys riot. But um, the one of the things before that, though, is in the very beginning when they first look at them, they're like, oh, do you know what they're saying? No, we don't know what they're saying. Well, have you got a lip reader? And no, they don't have a lip reader for the army. The CIA has a lip reader, but we don't want to work with the CIA. That's a whole different avenue of what's wrong with America. But, well, very uh, interesting and timely considering that this came out in 2001 before 9-11 happened and subsequent investigations point to the fact that lack of communication between organizations helped that tragedy to happen. Not getting into conspiracy weeds, just saying that our country's had a problem with different agencies' protocols on who can communicate with who and whoever wrote this had a little bit of knowledge. Anyway, what, my, <laughs> what I was getting to there, though, was the fact that they have a physicist for the army. But no re- lip reader. But no lip reader. I think you would definitely want a lip reader. I feel like a lip reader comes in handy more often for the army than a physicist. Yeah, probably. Because you're spying on an enemy lines. Yeah, you know, you, know, you got like special operatives going on and things. Somebody speaks another language and is also good at lip reading. They're going to be able to tell you stuff. So we, we don't ever get a sense of what is being said on the other side. But because this is like an idyllic, you know, 
very much like a turn of the century, I'd say American, North American farm scene. It's like watching the, uh, between the episodes, just background nothingness on Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, or the Waltons or something. Yeah, and so it's this idealized scene of this family, and there's a woman who's about the age of Bill Pullman's former wife, and there's little kids, and she seems to be without a husband and so he does the thing that you should never do is stare at someone you've never had a conversation with and project all these feelings onto them and think that you know them but that's where he goes <laughs> he is grieving allison bill pullman is sad his right. son is dead from something and he needs a rebound mystery woman <laughs> mm-hmm. he does indeed need a rebound mystery woman Apparently did not learn his lessons from Lost Highway, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie, by the way. Just Lost had to Highway get that in there. before? Yeah, it was in the 90s. Okay. Yeah. This show kind of, it's, it's an, you know, at the beginning of the 2000s, so it still has a lot of 90s um, aesthetic to it, I, I would say. It's like, actually, as someone who watched a lot of the 90s version of The Outer Limits, I think this show has a very similar approach to the balance between horror and sci-fi and how much violence and gore is presented on screen. Wasn't Lou Diamond Phillips also in an episode of 90s Outer Limits? Oh, quite possibly. We should we should delve into that more in the future because there's a lot of episodes. That actually had a much longer run than this. I feel like but... Lou Diamond Phillips isn't enough, like, TV anthologies and things that you could almost do an old whole episode on just Lou Diamond Phillips shows. That would be fun. I enjoy him. So <laughs> totally do an episode. You could definitely do that. Strange days with Lou Diamond Phillips. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Go yeah, ch- so... check out the dead air segment from episode two. If you're interested back to this one though. Um, do you Val, do you want to reveal what happens? The twist? Yeah. So so Bill Pullman and his ice cube machine. So he starts, basically they're launching the ice cubes at the, at the force field or whatever. And he makes someone record every time an ice cube goes through the force field. And so Bill Pullman starts like um, plotting that data and can sort of, like he's trying to track exactly when the next opening will be. And, you know, that's probably why they called him out there. But also, he is fed up with the command duty line. Like, he doesn't want to listen to the guy who yelled at him, and I'm not really sure, like, what his rank or authority is. But so he, like, gets on a satellite phone and calls the CIA liaison and tries to get a lip reader out here. And he ends up getting um, threatened with a court martial, and they put him in tent timeout, and then he's just like very sad, um, and he's <laughs> in, in, yeah, that and he's in trouble, laugh. yeah. Um, and they're like, "We're going to army jail, sir right. Bill Pullman," but like they're still shooting ice cubes at the membrane this whole time, and he stares at his like weird military issue laptop that's very large and has a black screen (laughs) and uh, and then he just like books it takes off running because he has figured out the interval which the uh, membrane becomes permeable so he can push himself through and uh so he he runs off and 
everyone on the army side can see him in our world, but he's not able to look back and he's just like taken and struck by the idyllic beauty of this place. And the, the farm woman who, you know, he's obsessed with or whatever fixated on, she runs towards him and attacks him and starts to eat him. And then the whole family joins and they all start to eat him. And then the grandfather with the book of Bible stories comes out and does some magic (laughs) because he's like a sorcerer. And um, it looks as though the window closes, but what actually happens is the window is reversed. So instead of the world being able, like our world being able to look into the farm scene, now the farm scene is looking out from where Bill Pullman came from. And they have the terrible redheaded monster baby just poking, (laughs) poking at the membrane with his finger, similar to the ice cube experiment, seeing when it will open again. And that's where the episode ends. And it's just fantastic. I was <laughs> so, good. so surprised. I love that we, it's like overused now, especially with CG, but like she like looks like she's going to kiss him and then her jaw elongates, like, you know, kind of like how when a boa constrictor opens up its jaw to like swallow a prey hole. <laughs> it's just so funny and random and disturbing all at the same time and then it ends with the child in his bone and you're just like this is this is off the walls and nuts it was not where I thought it was going the first time did you guys I mean you guys suspected something sinister was going to happen but did you think it was going to be that no go into the farm I did not expect it to be a the hills have eyes sort of cannibal thing right or aliens from another dimension yeah you're mouse human mousetrap situation yeah they're the bait also though like had they brought a lip reader from the cia they would have had the cia go go uh they're just speaking gibberish i don't know what's going on because it's not like they know english because when the kids poking the wall with bill pullman's femur yeah um, like, the guy looks at his watch, and his watch has, like, weird alien markings on it. So you kind of think that these people are from another dimension or another plane of existence somehow that tra- maybe travels around, and that they have kind of maybe... I don't even know if their appearance is meant to be a lure. Like, maybe they change appearance depending on where they end up or maybe they just happen to be from an alternate realm that's in kind of like a a prairie turn of the century timeline still but they're or maybe ravenous vicious can you know the last time they crossed over was was uh 17 or 18th century uh prairie life you know the last time they crossed over there, there's a lot of potential for a, a deeper story of these these uh, interdimensional, voracious you, hunter people. <laughs> you don't get that. You just get a Pullman snack, and uh, and then it's over. And the promise of carnage to come. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I wish I could remember. Did you write and... down what the punchline by Henry Rollins was for this one. I think we should look up the audio clip and, and, just and start playing and those. Put it yeah. in the show. I mean, I don't know. If that's too much inside baseball for guys, for you guys out there listening. But I think, I think we may go back in and and add at least one or two of those. Not maybe for every story segment, but just so you could get a flavor of of 
if you haven't gone and watched the shows yourself, you can get a flavor of, of what he sounds like in his sort of, his dis, sort of disconnected readings of, of what's happened. Cause I don't think he's, he's actually Rollins probably even read a whole screenplay of the episodes or, you know, like he just, he's just given some stuff to read, but it's really funny. And it's the funny kind of jolt after you've seen this and then you get Henry Rollins telling you, you know, you never know what might eat you or something like that. He definitely says something ominous that like, now that they've seen into our world, it's only a matter of time until they join us. Yeah. Something <laughs> or, like, like they join us for dinner or something like that. Like, Oh my goodness. It's like campy and terrible. Now the window looks out onto us. And it's only a matter of time before the window opens and they join us for dinner. <laughs> it's also kind of... It was, it's amazing. One of the things I wrote down while watching this was a thing that I really enjoyed is they referred to this ha- happening as a prairie phenomenon. Just like, hey, those prairie phenomenons, those things happen. Prairies just pop up sometimes. And, and they described what was happening within the prairie phenomenon as a Norman Rockwell painting come to life. And just that. Which is like, okay, sir, Norman Rockwell did not paint prairies. He painted no. like family settings in New York apartments and also nice houses. Yeah, you know, people shopping, people walking their dog, people going to the barber shop and getting shaved, that kind of stuff. People smiling right. at turkeys, cooked turkeys, but always smiling people from the 40s and 50s not people from you know Amish I get they it's sort of a idealized romanticized idea of a of like a white dead life of people you know and and it life was really hard back then but as in lots of past eras, which is funny to think about given where we are right now. But people have this this nostalgia sense for different times with rose-colored glasses, and it's like, that wasn't a better time at all, especially for a lot of people. But it's the known past, and sometimes you just remember... You romanticize the, Yeah, it. you remember the things that you love, and everything's in kind of a soft focus memory, and that's what these predators sort of tap into, whether intentionally or not. Which is really cool. I think I think there's a lot going on with this story, and I think it's there's cool like, that Pullman directed it. Yeah, it's um a- according to a a blog that I read, sort of reviewing this series as a whole, um called Genre Snaps, which I really enjoyed. Um, they're very clearly a horror a horror person. Um, they mentioned that it's Bill Pullman's second directing job and his last. <laughs> Oh. Just like anecdotally, like, you know, he tried his hand at it and I guess it just that wasn't for him. He had bigger and better things to to move on to do, like star in The Sinner, which is one of the better TV shows to come out in the last like five years. Hmm. It's so good. He plays like a, you know, cop or a detective or something. And I assume he has some sort of drinking problem because he always has like five o'clock shadow. And he thinks that Jessica Beale is a liar. But then he starts to believe her because Jessica Biel is um, beautiful. Sure. That's a good show. Beautiful it's a really good can't show. Lie, it's fact. <laughs> Not on TV, Drew. Not on TV. Well, okay. Here's the rule. Jessica Biel has brown hair, and so she's automatically more truthful than a beautiful blonde woman because beautiful blonde women cannot be trusted on TV shows. Right. 
No, the femme fatale. If we learned anything from Hitchcock movies, mm-hmm. exactly. Icy cold blonde. And then you got redheads, and that's a whole nother ball of racks. Well, we just like watched that terrible cannibal child. Yeah, I was just gonna say we just watched a view through through the window, so we know what redheads get us. <laughs> yeah. Nothing well, good can come of it. Apologies to apologies to the woman to was a <laughs> <laughs> Um, so this, as every episode is two stories played together, each story is about twenty to twenty-five minutes for like an hour-long episode with commercials. The second part of this episode is um, a segment called "Quiet, Please," and it's so good. <laughs> I was shook it's so good <laughs> one of the reasons and then again why oh go ahead oh i was just gonna say again like really good actors in it yes yeah it's it's uh brian dennehy and carrie elways yeah yeah it's it carrie good... elways is why i selected this episode because i was like oh my gosh i love carrie elways because he's in the saw movies he's in like three of them and I just think he's phenomenal in the Saw movies too and I was like I would love to see some like continuing to celebrate his non-Princess Bride um, filmography because he's I mean, just that's a, always, awesome that's always going to be a special place in my heart because I adore the Princess Bride and I also thought he was great in Robin Hood Men in Tights where he's dissing yes. on Kevin Costner's portrayal of Robin Hood he's, he's very funny but he can do you know like you said for Saw he can do horror and drama really well and I thought he was great in the last uh most recent season of Stranger Things but yes as like the scummy politician yes yeah oh man because like he's so handsome that he plays diabolical very well very well yes or in this sweaty nervous guy (laughs) he is so sweaty and nervous he plays an up uh, an uptight nerd in this kind of Reminded me a little bit of his character in that it's been forever since I've seen it, but there's like this silly thriller called The Crush with Alicia Alicia Silverstone, and oh my goodness, yeah, obsessed with him, and he's kind of awkward and like a little up, a little tightly wound as that character as well. But this was a segment that I immediately thought of when I remembered this show because this was the standout story for me of all the ones that I'd seen. I remembered a view a view through the window pretty well also but this one quiet please was the one i've felt for the main character because i've definitely been in situations where there's just tons of noise all around me and i just get really sensitive to a lot of sight and sound and you know our family's known for having really good hearing so there's kind of an added intensity with that and i just thought god you know i feel for this guy he's trying to get away and when we lived um close to downtown Portland when we used to live in the Lloyd district which is a really busy part of Portland it was intense for me because it was just five o'clock traffic going by out the window people screaming horns honking um for some reason the Chipotle around the corner was always burning things and so there'd be like smoky meat and peppers in the air choking me and I just I'm a I'm a forest person I couldn't handle it (laughs) so when he goes out to the woods I'm like yes so relatable and so and also like Carrie Elwes is like what his character is obviously like inundated with all of the sounds and the hustle and bustle of the city and he needs a reprieve but he's um flipping through channels on his television and each channel is like disaster like the 24-hour news cycle 
one of the things that it stops on is that there's like apparently a serial killer who just goes out and murders someone every weekend and he flips through that and the weekend you know, talks killer. about the weekend killer yeah <laughs> and it talks the each news channel he flips through is just like another disaster another something terrible happening in the world which in also it's its own sort of noise just like the the white noise of constant chronic anxiety and then he flips to like the nature channel and he's just like Ah, I'll go to nature as though that's like never occurred to him before that Mm -hmm. he could just, you know, go away for a weekend or like go camping, Carrie Elwes, go camping. It's fine. My God. So he goes, he decides to go camping. So like this, like this little synopsis for this episode is just basically there's a, there's a man, the main character, Carrie Elwes is being driven insane by all the noise and stress of the city and he decides to go to the woods to get away from it all. And he's loving it for a minute. And then he has this quiet disturbed by a noisy camper nearby. And this is all going on while there's a serial killer at large in the city, as we mentioned, the weekend killer. And the guy who he encounters once he gets to the woods, his neighbor in, um, his neighbor in the camp is played by Brian Dennehy. And Dennehy has a very vigilant barky German shepherd and that's how he first encounters him as he you know stumbles too close to the camp and you know thought he was alone by himself for a minute but then he hears noise being made and then the German shepherd loses it because it's guarding his master and um right because Brian Dennehy is a good old boy in this yeah he's a good old boy that came out and set up camp at like midnight yep and is pounding tent stakes into the ground in the middle of the night. And Brian Dennehy is such a, like, Oregon archetypical, like, unhelpful <laughs> jerk. Like, yeah, I right. have met this camper who just assumed <laughs> oh, yeah. that they know what's best. Like, I've been coming here and trout fishing for years. And it's like, please leave. Please leave me. <laughs> I am so overwhelmed by your, like, your chronic advice giving that I did not ask for. Right. I identified very strongly with the frustration with Brian Dennehy in this. I felt personally attacked by Brian Dennehy. Yeah. Well, well I think there's there's the camper who's going to get away from it all, you know, that's, like, cooped up in the city and everything. And then there's the camper who essentially already lives in a life of isolation somewhere else. And they just are looking yeah. for a change of scenery, yeah. or the fishing's better over there, or, or you know, hunting's better over there, or something. But like the level of interaction with humans to them is the same at camping as it is day to day life. So like going and talking to your neighbor is no big deal. Although I, I say far worse than that because you know even though there's like the gruff kind of overly helpful outdoorsy guy you'll meet in Oregon. The ones that really drive me nuts are the people who want to go camping, but they bring an entire giant RV and they have all their movies and their stereo system. And they basically set up their living room out in the woods. But because you're out in the woods, if you're in the same campground, there's no barrier or buffer. So it's like your loud neighbor is now three campsites over and we definitely we you're literally talking about the last time we went, we went camping. camping this summer because <laughs> were... one of the few things you could do as like a safe type of vacation and we just needed 
some kind of little break and we love camping but we also have like a very large somewhat forested backyard I mean we don't we live in the city but we have you know a quarter of an acre full of dug fir and cedar trees so it feels like a camping ground like a little state campground in the backyard and you know you hear neighbor noise and traffic noise but it's honestly was louder than our backyard (laughs) in the state campground because you know everybody was trying to do what we were trying to do but a lot of people were just a normal average setup where you have you know your little kitchen set up and you've got your tents or your little camper or whatever but there were a couple families where I think they'd been there for a week and they were having everybody their entire extended family was there for like a birthday party and they needed to show a movie on a big screen and it wasn't like anybody else was invited to watch but they were just like putting on shows for the kids to watch but playing it at top volume at like well but not in their trailer they were projecting it on the outside outside of the trailer so that everyone could kind of watch pixel yeah pixels i don't know it's the adam sandler where the the video games come to life and yeah. try to oh, kill you all. Yeah. Which was off of an episode of uh, Futurama. Oh, yeah? Huh. It's oh, totally I an episode. episode. Yeah. So, so, so anyway, I just, I just, sorry to interject and derail a little bit, but, like, sometimes <laughs> the campsite, especially if it's a state campsite, and now we have, you know, Reserve America, it's a thing, for Ugh. making, booking a campsite so much fun. It can be like you're in a parking lot full of people and all their bric-a-brac and then there's no buffer, which, you know, imagine Carrie Elway's in that situation and he's just murdering everybody because he's lost his his mind. But, um... Spoilers. Spoilers. (laughs) Spoilers for murdering everybody. Anyway, so we keep seeing, we keep seeing Brian Dunahy and he's always wielding like a large serrated knife and saying, he says over and over, it's a freak country. And he's kind oh of a jerk. God. Yeah. He's like kind of friendly sometimes, but then kind of a jerk and acts like he might be mentally un- unwell. Cause he's just all over the place and very emotional. But they keep trying to hint at kind of like a deliverance, good old boy, not deliverance, like uh rapey, but <laughs> deliverance, like, He's he's a little backwoods and could could go crazy at any moment. He could take offense and possibly harm harm this city boy that he yeah. keeps interacting with. And, and poor um, sweaty Carrie always. What's what? <laughs> do we ever learn his name in it? Uh, he, I don't. He says it I don't briefly. know. Um, Brian Dennehy's character's name is Ben, which I remember because I wrote down a quote. But he basically like he at he realizes that there's so much noise and he, you know, Carrie always, his character says, you know, I was here first. Would you mind moving? And he's just like, well, there's a whole woods here. You can just pick up and move wherever you want. So he does, he moves rather than, you know, dig double down and get into a confrontation with this bigger dude. who's walking around with a knife and an angry German shepherd. And so he moves to another site and he's good for a while. And then lo and behold, there's, Ryan Dennehy, again, like, he can't shake this dude. Like, you, you get the feeling that, like, the other camper wants to interact with him because he's the only person there. And mm-hmm. so he's not going to get his peace and quiet. And he tries and tries and tries. And eventually he kills his dog because he... Well, the dog is killed. Uh, Brian Dennehy thinks that it's a grizzly because he saw grizzly tracks around. Right. Well, and also Carrie always is like trying to convince 
him of that as well because he just wants to scare him off. He's right. just like, I need you to leave. And he's fine with killing a dog. So he's probably fine with doing other things. Spoilers. <laughs> um, and he ends up getting to the very end. It's like, you know, Brian Denny, he's not getting it. And he's he at one point hides in Carrie Elway's tent from a bear that he thinks might be around. Like, he's just, oh he thinks he's got... Yeah, I didn't quite understand that one. He goes, Carrie Elway's is walking around, and he thinks he's finally shook this guy and gotten rid of him because the dog is dead, and he sees that the campsite has been pulled up somewhat, right? Am Mm. I remembering that correctly? I I don't know. He is under the impression that Brian Dennehy is gone. He's like, at last, and he goes back to his tent, and he unzips it, and Brian Dennehy's in there looking terrified. Then he finally reveals, he's like, you know, I tried. I tried to get rid of you. I tried, you know, I'm trying to be nice here. I'm trying to warn you. I'm trying to get you away from me. Right. I gave you a chance by killing your dog. Yeah. And then Brian Denning, he's like not computing because that's an insane thing to be told, you know? So it makes sense that he's not catching up with what's happening. And he's like, but the bear and Carrie always says, I'm the bear, Ben. I love that. <laughs> I laughed very hard at that because I was also like like Brian Dennehy's character. I was having trouble figuring out what was going on because I like I had forgotten the detail about the serial killer. Like I knew I knew there was like a bunch of crime and stuff that Carrie Elwes was running from in the city, but like it had totally like slipped my mind because I wasn't like paying the closest attention. And then he said that he killed the dog. I'm like, what? What yeah. am I watching now? What is happening? Yeah, and he explains that he like just wanted a weekend away, just wanted a weekend off, and no, and so you know they close in on Brendan and he's terrified face, and then cut to Carrie Elways is leaving camp, and I have to warn people if you watch us on YouTube, there's a point at the very end where the sound cuts out, and I we watched another episode where it happens, um, it happens a little bit in the dead air segment of episode two. And what we determined is we think that the sound was edited out for a second because of a song playing in the background, because when you post things to YouTube, um, the bots that are on YouTube looking for copyright infringement and whatnot will flag music. And so I think there was a song playing at the end for a little bit as he's leaving the campground because he's having a conversation with the like the camp ranger and unfortunately you can't hear what what he says for a minute but then it ends with him the sound comes back on and it ends with him having a tongue in the jar because it, it's revealed earlier that this killer collects tongues right because everyone's too loud right. so. nobody stops talking so just a warning there is going to be a little bit of a sound cut out at the end if you watch it on youtube because i think someone was just trying to keep commercials from being interjected or the video being taken down yeah i'm assuming that there was a joke about you know did you get what you needed and yeah Yeah, i finally got some peace and quiet or something like that yeah just you know a little chit chat a little one-liner at the end about some peace and quiet and then um and then we cuts to a news report saying, you know, that was the first weekend in months where there hadn't been any murders in the city, and they make a joke, maybe the weekend killer finally took a weekend off. (laughs) Which was kind of funny. But they, I I also have to say, (laughs) this is kind of weird, 
when we were watching the dead air segment with Lou Diamond Phillips and the music cut out, it cut out on the Petula Clark song downtown, which is what clued <laughs> us into like, Oh, that's a really recognizable song. And then it cut out and then it cut back in when the song was over or at least covered up by enough dialogue and sound that it probably wasn't going to get flagged, which is what led us to the conclusion that like, that's why there's a quiet spot in, in the quiet please segment and it's also extra eerie because there was that recent bombing in, where was that? Where the guy blew up the camper? Nashville. Nashville in downtown Nashville. And he was playing the Petula Clark downtown song from a loudspeaker before he blew up the camper. So weird, good times all around, I guess. Anyway, Val, did you have anything you wanted to add before we wrap up Quiet, please? Um, No, I, other than the fact that like, I think overall this episode was really like the whole episode, the whole hour of it was just like a really good hour of television. Yes. Um, as someone, as someone who had no context for the show and was just coming in cold and watching these two segments for the first time, I was like pleasantly surprised by the twists. Like they, and I, I consume a fair amount of movies and television and I was like, Oh, I did, you know, I'm glad I was surprised by that. This was a, this was a good viewing experience. I, you know, I think that this was a good horror anthology that just, like, did not get the recognition it deserved. I will say, I definitely agree with you. And I will say, like a lot of other shows, it's the quality varies a little bit from story to story and episode to episode. And we forgot to mention that Joe Dante directed this, I think, is what we forgot. Oh, yeah, that's why I chose this episode, too, was because Joe Dante, a name I only recognize because of Erie, Indiana. <laughs> Well, and if, you know, if you're like me and you're a huge Burbs fan and a fan of the Howling and a fan of Gremlins, but the, the Burbs all day long. Yeah, Joe Dante holds a special play, place in our hearts. And we actually got to see him a few years back. Um, and Chris was with us there, too. We went and saw him uh, present the Burbs on the big screen over at the Hollywood Theater. I want to say that was in 2018. Um, and that, like that. yeah, it was, it was about three years ago, two and a half years ago. It was, it was a really great moment. And he was telling stories about Tom Hanks and he's just, he's a really great guy to watch. If you ever see him in like a making of interview or a film documentary, he's very knowledgeable. He, you know, grew up as a filmmaker in the Roger Corman school and he was a trailer cutter. So he just has this extensive, vast knowledge of all kinds of film. And, um, also to plug Hollywood theater, by the time this episode airs, you still may be able to do it. They are doing a Roger Corman series of lectures. It's the Roger Corman Masterclass through the Hollywood Theater. So you can go to hollywoodtheater.org, which is the Portland-based theater, and they're doing these virtual lecture classes on Roger Corman. And you can – basically, it's already in process. I've been doing it every every Tuesday. It's on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock Pacific time. And – you can pay per lecture, and the final lecture, which is on the 26th of January, is going to be on um, the making of Piranha, and Joe Dante will be in attendance and doing a awesome. Q&A. And so that's very cool. Yeah, it's it's been very fun, and I really appreciate that the Hollywood Theater is doing these classes, and it's a really easy way to do something fun and express your film love at a time when we can't go to the theater. So I just wanted to plug that really quick and... If we hopefully 
I'm fingers crossed we can get the episode out in time so that if people hear this and they're interested in that, they can actually catch at least that last lecture. Because um, I think it's like $12 a class or something, which is, you know, well worth it and you're supporting a nonprofit and you, you get to hear Joe Dante in an exclusive interview that's only for the lecture, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. So anyway, um, Moving on, and I saw I was really quick to you, I just mentioned, I think part of the quality of this segment has a lot to do with the fact that he was the director. And those little, like the, the little snippets of him channel surfing at the beginning with how everything is terrible, that's like classic Dante. Like when you watch The Howling, there's all these little in-jokes about werewolves and crime and, and also um, different types of therapy that people are in because that was kind of part of the zeitgeist of the time when the howling came out there's just you can see you can sense the little bits of joe dante humor inserted in how this segment was shot there's a lesson to be learned here when someone tells you to hold your tongue do it or they just may do it for you all right so then we watched episode eight which had two segments that we're going to cover and the first one is Bitter Harvest, which was directed by someone I'm not familiar with, but his name is Philip Scriccia, which, apologies if I'm pronouncing that wrong. We actually researched and looked up a phonetic <laughs> spelling, but it, this is a difficult one. So it stars Jack Palance, who is wonderfully creepy in this. And so Val, do you want to talk about... Jack Palance is wonderfully creepy in most everything he's in. Freaking love. And, yeah. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, what happens in Bitter Harvest? Yeah. So the the segment Bitter Harvest um, is about a young man who is, I don't know, he lives on a farm with his family and he's really fond of his horse, whose name is Ginger, and that comes up later. And um, he and his adolescent friends have all these, like, theories about his creepy old man rural neighbor, whose name I do not remember, but it's Jack Palance. And um, one of the rumors is that, you know, he murdered a man and buried him behind a farm. And, you know, you know how children make up these these uh, scary stories to spook you to spook each other, but also his farm is just covered in no trespassing signs. So one of the first things that happens in the segment is that the main character boy, whose name I also don't remember, um, the main character boy sneaks on to his property, and by sneaks I mean just like leisurely walks during broad daylight yeah. to go fishing in his lake. And then Jack Palance, or he, he goes fishing in his lake, and then he decides to go snooping around his farm and he goes behind the barn to see if there's, like, a freshly dug grave or anything. But all he finds is a pile of manure. And he's like, aw, shucks, or something like that. <laughs> and then Jack Palance comes around and is like, hey, you kid. And starts, you know, like, waving his arms at him uh, in a Clint Eastwoody kind of way. And so he takes off running. And he runs next to a grain auger. And Jack Palance trips on the grain auger after having stepped on the foot pedal of the grain auger and falls in and loses both of his arms and that's yeah. like the setup like for the episode yeah you know <laughs> as one does just falling face forward arms straight out right um, so he 
Yeah, he was so like the first one minute of this episode. <laughs> yeah, like this is all this is all just set up. Like this is not even the meat of the episode. And so bam, obviously bam, that's someone after another. This is how Jack Palance loses it, his arm to him, a grain it shows, auger. It shows him screaming, and then there's like blood dripping out of the spout <laughs> yeah. at the end of the auger. Ugh. And it's just, it just, I did not. Like, I didn't know what was going to happen. I knew this episode was going to be menacing, but I was like, what is this? <laughs> so, like, oh, yeah. my God. I've never um, seen this one before. And I was like, wow, this is really disturbing and creepy. And I, I'm concerned for what will be happening next. Even though you don't really like the kid, he sucks, kind of. Yeah, no, the kid does not have a likable face. He's just got one of those faces where I was like, oh, you were cast as, like, a delinquent in every TV show you probably appeared in for several ages. Um, well, he, he's yeah, not one of those. He's like, the, character, <laughs> the character is definitely just, you know, a selfish, unaware teenage boy who is only worried about himself, and he's afraid of... I think the neighbor was referred to as Old Man Jennings, and he tries to act all big around his friends, like, oh, it's not scary to have the neighboring farm next door to old man Jennings, whose mother was rumored to be a witch. Oh, um, a witch, which plays, yes. plays into the plot. You know, so you get that kind of like old backwoods country folk magic kind of thing happening here, and which I always love. But he um, he's not a sympathetic character as he goes through the torment of what happens throughout the rest of the story. But, but yeah, so essentially, like, you know, obviously the boy's parents are horrified by this terrible accident that no one knows what caused it. It just looks like a freak accident. And old man Jennings is now armless and um, is waiting for prosthetics to, like, help his mobility and stuff like that, but obviously cannot do any labor, any manual labor around his farm. And so uh, his the boy's father goes and volunteers him for farm work after old man Jennings is like, I have a bone to pick with your boy. And the boy just like goes like sheet white. And it's like, it's set up. The tension is set up that you think that old man Jennings is going to rat him out for causing the accident that made him lose his arms. But mm-hmm. instead he's like, your boy's been fishing in my pond. And the father's yeah. like, my goodness, this is horrible. You owe old man Jennings labor for his fish and so he gets uh conscripted for two weeks of labor essentially where he has to do chores for old man jennings and old man jennings just tortures him <laughs> yeah this, yeah this including, is so tense there's a scene where he makes him run the grain auger and then the auger gets stuck and he's he's like boy like you know reach down in there and see what's in there you're gonna have to reach in there and right and he's standing next to the pedal the foot pedal that turns it on and off which seems really dangerous that you would operate that by foot pedal rather than like a, a little switch that's not easy to bump into but he is standing next to it uh old man jennings kind of with his foot quivering like he's gonna turn it back on because the boy's like we'll turn it off and so he turns it off and then he's just standing there staring at the boy while the boy has to reach down in there and he finds the obstructing piece and he pulls it out and it's a bone and old man Jennings grins like oh that's part of my arm and you're just like oh god it's horrifying <laughs> so 
So um, among the things that happens to this this young lad when he's doing chores for old man Jennings is he cuts his hand pretty pretty badly one of his hands when he's cleaning out the gutters for old man Jennings mm-hmm. and like almost falls from the gutters because old man Jennings like scoots the ladder away from him that yeah. he was standing on and so that's menacing um let's see he's chopping wood at some point but his hand hurts and so he like slips the axe and almost like slices into his own foot and old man Jennings is like careful there just like watching all Wouldn't of his want you to lose a leg yeah. yeah he's very closely supervising this boy's actions um, and old man Jennings goes for physical therapy at some point, and so the boy's just alone on his farm, and he notices another pile of, like, fresh dirt, and so he digs into it and finds his horse's blanket that has the name Ginger on it, and he pulls it out, and there's something buried in it, and it's just his arms. It is yeah. the severed arm of old man Jennings, and the boy doesn't scream or anything. He just kind of grimaces, and it's like, well, this is just, this is just awful. So that's all very, very weird. (laughs) And then, like, one of the final acts is that the boy goes to old man Jennings' house where old man Jennings is trying to feed himself soup. Yes. Such a bold food for someone who's, yeah, who's, um, whose arm mobility is compromised because he still doesn't have his prosthetics at this point. So he's just kind of like face first eating the soup. And this boy is like sad and also horrified. And this man has just been tormenting him, but it's also like a sad thing to like see the direct cause of his actions have like so deeply affected this man's life right now. So he goes and he starts. Yeah. It's it's a complicated scene. But he also, you get the impression from the look on Jack Palance's face that he's reveling in torturing this boy. Like, he is oh, enjoying absolutely. the terror and and pain that that's causing. And that, so it adds this whole kind of, it's sinister. It's also slightly funny because it's just so macabre, yeah. things that are happening. And then you just get the sense that Jack Palance as an actor is enjoying the hell out of this. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because he's like, he is so present and menacing and just like, he is around this boy at all times. Like every time you turn around, he's just like kind of staring at you from behind a barbed wire fence. And you're like, right. why? And also, like, how does he keep putting on shirts that have buttons? Like, there's so many questions. Yeah. Um, and so Jack Palance, like, he is, he's like, I'm going to pay open. you for. Wait, what? Oh, yeah. I mean. I don't, yeah, there's so many questions. Um, how does he, how is he doing anything right now? If like his only aid is this little boy or this teenage boy who just kind of does like random farm chores. He did say that his accountant was dressing him in the morning. Or no, not the accountant. Somebody from the county was looking in on him like a social worker. Uh, A social worker would dress him in the morning. And that's all. that, That tracks. But yeah, so he he like gestures me when you're missing your arm, someone to get you dressed in the morning, and then you're good to go. Yep, that's all you need. That's all anyone needs. Not a, not a living caregiver to help you trans transition to your limb loss and learn to adapt. You would it would and it would take like a year. You know, you wouldn't be doing this. Oh, I'm yeah. gonna get my prosthetics in two weeks. No, no, yeah. but that's okay. 
happens that way. If you're Jack Palin, that's how it happens. He also yeah, makes a point of his, his arms are covered up when he's around other people, but when it's just the boy, he like lets his cut off arms just show for you know yeah. horrific effect. Did you Drew? Did you talk about? Because Drew. Oh my Jack Palin. Know, we after we after we finished the story, or do you want to talk about it now? Because Drew was like digging around about some trivia about Jack Palance and found all kinds of really creepy information about him. No, kind of tell us. us. He's just he he was a freaky dude. Like, um, he got all those roles for all those creepy old man things because he was a creepy old man, and like, apparently he was a method actor. Um, <laughs> Oh, and <laughs> yeah. so like one of the big stories is that like he he would um he was like they practiced a scene he was in a movie and he had to like club a guy with a gun and they practiced scene over and over again with a rubber gun and then when the scene actually went to get shot he unbeknownst to everyone else replaced it with a real gun clubbed the guy over the head with it and knocked him out for like 20 minutes Oh and my god. <laughs> and it's happened multiple times where like basically if you're in a movie and you're reading the script and there's a fight scene and then somebody said, "Oh, the other guy's going to be Jack Palance." That's when you say, "I'm out." <laughs> He's not going to pull his punches. Right. <laughs> so like probably in the shooting of this, he was, you know, taking delight in actually putting this kid child actor like in in torturous, dangerous scenarios. Like, I'd like to, you know, I don't want to speak ill of somebody who's no longer here and can't defend themselves, but I kind of would love to know if there's, like, behind-the-scenes interviews with Billy Crystal and, like, Daniel Stern and those guys about being actually genuinely terrified of Jack Palance while making the City Slicker movies, because I feel like he might be menaced them for real, and it kind of makes me laugh. Oh, God. That is wild, yeah. and I, oh, the story of an actor just, like, being, you know, socially unhinged, because that is kind of how <laughs> I assume everyone who acts professionally and is successful, that's how you gotta be, you gotta dissociate from your humanity, and <laughs> constantly wear the skin of someone else, like one of those space aliens from V. Yeah, <laughs> apparently, a, another one, I'll just get into one other Jack Pounce story that I was reading he made his own opportunity via he was before he got discovered discovered he was the understudy for Marlon Brando in the <gasps> Broadway streetcar named Desire and he uh, was doing workout with Marlon Brando with a punching bag missed the punching bag and knocked out Marlon Brando who had to go to the hospital. <laughs> and so he went on stage as the lead in Streetcar Named Desire and then got, uh, you know, some critically acclaimed people were like, oh yeah, that's great. And started putting him in movies. So he no got, wonder know. he continued to physically assault his coworkers. He's like, this worked in the past. Why right. wouldn't it work more? <laughs> He's just going around beating the crap out of people and getting promoted. 
<laughs> I mean, honestly, like, I feel like there's a lot of just, like, older white dude actors who give off that vibe. Like, I definitely believe Clint Eastwood does that because I also just find him to be unhinged, just, like, a little separate from the rest of humanity. <laughs> just, like, I get a, get a vibe. The get-off-my-lawn actors. The get up, yeah, the, yes, without the racial slurs, just Gran Torino-ing all the time. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, God. So, anyways, back to the show. Anyways. Um, um, so, so after making the kid do a bunch of, you know, just household chores, and then eating soup off of a plate face first, <laughs> which is just... I just want that as an isolated clip oh, with no. no context. <laughs> just Jack Palance face first into a pile of stew. And then looking at menacing with food all over his face. Oh, God, it's so disturbing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the whole, like, in the background of this story is the kid has his prize horse, Ginger, who's, like, pregnant. And then the blanket goes missing. And then he finds the blanket when he digs up the fresh grave that turns out to be a fresh grave for his arms that are wrapped in Ginger's blanket that went missing. And then, like, on the way out of his two weeks of having to to babysit armless man, um, he, like, gives him a lot of cash for his, you know, payment, and then is like, oh, and get your get your, uh, your blanket over there. I believe that belongs to you. I don't need it anymore. And so, like, the kid's, like, astonished. He's like, why would you pay me? I would have, you know, ratted... I would have ratted me out. I would have blah, 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 all the things he would have done. And he's like, that wouldn't fix anything, you know? Mm -hmm. And so he's walking home, and his mom excitedly tells him that Ginger is giving birth. You're going to miss it. Oh, he also returns the horse blanket. He says... Right, that's what I'm saying. At the end, he he gives back the blanket. He's like, I don't need it anymore. Sorry, I didn't catch that part. Right. Which, like, how did he get the blanket? Like, how did he bury the arms wrapped in that blanket? Right? How? There's like, so how? many things that happen. It's like, how did that happen? He has no arms. Maybe the social worker really likes him and is helping out. The social worker's like, sure, I'll wrap your arms in a horse blanket and teach, bury them for teach you. Teach me your folk magic and I will, I will bear, dig holes for you oh, or God. something. I don't know. That could have been. So many plot holes. Or he's just that magical. He's just that magical. Because his mother was a witch. So yeah, you find out that he also is a witch and it and it's all true because the the horse gives birth to a, a baby foal and it's hard to tell cuz like it's the transfer from somebody's like VHS recording it's kind of a dark scene and it, the horse is dark in color so, so like i thought the horse was just like stillborn at first yeah but i guess what it turns out is it's born without arm without legs it's got no appendages it made me so sad because the horse was, or the foal was just like very cute. Yeah. And it has no legs and it can't stand. And it's just, it's not the horse's fault. I kind of feel like, I know that in these kind of revenge stories, you mess with the things and people that are loved by your enemy, but I think a more direct approach is better. If you're, if you're going to go down the revenge route, like don't hurt innocent animals or right. innocent people that did nothing. 
And it ends on this, like, uber ominous note where, like, they're like, oh, son, I'm so sorry. I don't know how that could happen. Apparently this, you know, is so rare that, you know, there's legless animals. But don't worry, things are looking up. Mom's pregnant. (laughs) Which has nothing to do with sorry about your horse, but also disturbing considering the fact that Jack Palance is put the put the whammy on there right family. and literally as she says don't worry your mom's pregnant it's like it pans to jack palance on the other side of the fence just grinning maniacally <laughs> how vindictive is old man jennings shane will have his answer in nine months oh god that'd be like a really creepy cardboard cutout to have if you had a standee of of jack palance you could just put places like in people's oh, windows oh god <laughs> I kind of want that now <laughs> as a Halloween prop. Oh. Also, real quick before we wrap up with this one, I wanted to mention that um, Dan Curtis, creator of Dark Shadows, did a television movie in 1974. It was his version of Dracula, and it stars Dan or stars Dan, Dan Curtis. It stars Jack Palance so, as Dracula. <laughs> so Drew and I will be checking that out for sure. It may make an appearance on the Davenport, or maybe we'll suggest it to the guys on Terror on the Tube. We'll see, see where that goes. But it's something you definitely need to check out because that's a really interesting. I'd like to see his take on Dracula. <laughs> so anyway, Val, was there anything else you wanted to add about this segment? No, just that like. I was horrified by the ending. I wasn't scared. I was just horrified. I just, it was effective, though, oh, right? Man. There's some plot holes. Yeah, it was like, it was a, a an interesting intro that went very quickly, a whole lot of plot holes, and then just a twisted, evil ending. Like, pure evil. <laughs> yeah, and like, you don't, you don't get satisfaction of having a purely, because e- I feel like, in other like stories of the similar trope where it's like you wronged someone who is, you know, of the magic, like you wronged the forest witch and now you have to pay until you atone. Like the boy had already done the atoning and the the trauma hadn't even really begun. Mm -hmm. Like he atoned first and came clean about like his, his sins against the, the old man farm witch. And then the old man's like, no, it's fine. Because like, I got my revenge, and then it's horrible. It is a horrible sequence of events. Yeah. It made me very anxious, uh, that ending. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I really liked that segment. Um, the plot holes didn't bother me because they were just, like, absurd. And I was just like, what? okay, whatever. But then the ending was just like, well, if this had... If I had known it was building to this, that kind of paints the rest of the episode with a much darker brush. It would, yeah, it would not have, I, I don't think the plot holes really detract from the story. I think you just get sucked no. right in and it's a quickly paced, a quickly paced tale and Jack Palance's performance is disturbing and watchable. <laughs> yeah, he's super good. He really sells the episode, um, or the segment. Um, and then this episode, the second segment is called My So-Called Life and Death. Which is the reason why I thought we should watch this episode, because who doesn't remember and mourn the one season wonder that is My So-Called Life, starring very young Claire Danes? Oh, yeah. 
I yeah, remember that so. show well because I was the I was the same age as the main character when it came out, and I had a very good friend who was very much the best friend, the crazy friend Rayanne in that in that show. It was slightly relatable. <laughs> Rayanne was iconic. Justice for Rayanne. Oh yeah, no, I had the, I had this friend who was like kind of over the top and a, like hardcore partier and always wild and you know fun to be around but like very unpredictable was, I identify I identified with that and also I identified with um the main character from Freaks and Geeks pretty hard when that show came out I was like oh yep I guess there's <laughs> there's a lot of girls in the situation there's an archetype emerging and there's a lot of that like I thought that the the, the portrayal of te- so the episode centers around the internal monologue and interactions of a teenage girl named Julie, I think. In this segment, um, yeah, in the in the segment, my so-called life and death, and she is on some. Yeah. yeah, I I don't remember her name either, and I don't remember the actress's name. It's Marla Sokoloff, I think. Yeah. Um, but like she is angsty she hates her younger brother she's on vacation with her family and it's hell because she's a teenager and she's always like speaking into a tape recorder her musings and bitterness and it's all just like (laughs) it was like chef's kiss perfection just like teenage uh brattiness and i love it um and but like from the get-go her brother sucks like i'm sorry that kid's sucked yeah I was like hoping that that kid would just like be taken care of by the end of the segment and I didn't care how but I was like this child is a monster he's just like lighting a pile of stuff on fire with a lighter and then the mom comes out and is like I told you not to play with matches and he's like it's not matches because he's so precocious mm-hmm. and then the mom is just like oh ha 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 so yeah she's clever. like you got me there kid yeah, and she's, then the... She's not concerned oh, her child is obsessed with fire and maybe thinking, we need to take him to a therapist. She's just Absolutely. like, oh, so intelligent, my little darling. My little darling, yeah. And then the teenage daughter is, like, horrified. She's like, mom, he's a pyro. And she's like, why are you such a monster to this family? She just, like, goes, like, full, like, unhinged like unlistening <laughs> parent I I don't know I hated that I felt triggered by that <laughs> I have some trauma around that um but yeah so her family sucks and you you sympathize immediately because she seems grounded and relatable and she's cute as a button and she's also like there's like a an adult man thirst trap that she is obsessed with who appears to be oh, a handyman a girl's first crush can be magical but as Julia is about to learn, magic is a short step from horror. That yeah, made me uncomfortable. I was just like, you're a baby. That is a grown man. An adult. He's a grown man, and she develops, like, a big old crush on him that is problematic. But, you know, that's not... It's whatever. Nothing bad happens, so I guess that's fine. <laughs> but, yeah, just the tension in this family... It is a lot to take. This this segment made me tired. Like, watching it made me feel tired. Yeah. 
I kind of guessed what was going on pretty quickly. And also, I want to say that, like, <clears throat> the title is a spoiler. It just seemed a little bit lazy to me because they were, they were, like, riffing on a show about a teenage girl that was so much more, like, a much more of a nuanced and deep character than this girl in this segment. You know, it's kind of, if somebody saw this and never saw my so-called life, they might have a weird impression of what that show was actually about. And, you know, it's just like, oh, it's a teenage girl and she whines constantly into her, you know, audio diary or whatever. Yeah, they, but this, this was like, it's like, well, you, when you put death in the title, that automatically tells us something that some, you know, that the main character is probably dead already or going to die. And so I was guessing what was going on. But I wasn't quite sure, because I just figured, okay, she's dead, she's a ghost, and her family is interacting with her, so they're probably dead too. And but it, and I was, we were well, kind of debating on like, did little brother burn everybody, or did there were some scenes where her father is heavily drinking, and scenes that imply that like the marriage isn't going so well, and I just thought maybe the dad. I can also see, like, the dad Basically, snapping and killing everybody. Everybody in the family is a little unhinged. Yeah. Um, but also, I, I, I feel like they, the, the death part was, like, they kind of had the red herring where um, the handyman in his, like, late 30s, early 40s that this teenage <laughs> girl is lusting after. Mm-hmm. Uh, when she first is going to finally talk to him, because the mom says, like, leave him alone. He's just doing work. And, like, so your dad can relax. Um, so daddy can day drink. <laughs> anyways, like, she goes down to talk to him, unbuttons some buttons, of course, because that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, he's not bait. listening to her, so she unbuttons a couple more buttons, still not listening, and then he walks through her. <gasps> he's a ghost! So it's like, she's obsessed with the fact that he's a ghost now. Yeah, but... And she wants him to take her away to his... her. She wants to be dead so she can be with the ghost man. I wasn't buying him as a ghost, though, for a minute, even though we're kind of led in that direction because you've already seen multiple other storylines where someone thinks they're being haunted and they're the haunter and I won't go into which movies or shows those are because those are usually spoiler twists but it's we've seen it before and then also the title is my so-called life and death and so it's like the main character is the one having the so-called life and death not handyman who she's drooling over Oh, it was just, it was so uncomfortable. He like, he was just you know a normal a normal dude doing projects, and right. it was just that oh this is, this is weird. <laughs> Person who wrote this. So yeah. This. After she she's able to uh, communicate with the ghost once, and he freaks out, and she's all worried. You know that she scared away the ghost. Uh huh. She communicates with him again by getting into his car and taking a ride with him. Mhm. Because it's not weird to get into a ghost car, or it's not weird to get into 
a man who's twice your age's car. That you it's don't not know. Weird to all these things are like, um, you shouldn't do that, young lady. Uh, <laughs> that she does, and mm-hmm. then the guy freaks out because she suddenly appears or touches him, like strokes his face. Yeah, while he's driving, which causes him to wreck. But up until up until that happens, you're thinking, you know, if this was a scenario where one person wasn't a ghost and it was just a girl gets into a guy's car randomly, you'd think, is he a serial killer? Is he gonna kill her? Oh, you know, absolutely. people people thought Ted Bundy was an attractive guy. Like this is this is creepy. It's <laughs> super creepy. But yeah, so she scares him and he wrecks and. He starts screaming at the sky, like, leave me alone. Please stop haunting me. he starts screaming, it's not my fault. It's not my fault that you died, which is really, really just wonderful, um, like, wonderful writing in general. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, this this one might be the weakest of the segments I watched. definitely (laughs) say it was. I, def- I I still enjoyed it because I thought that Marla Sokoloff, that is the, the actress's name, I thought that she just did a phenomenal job. But mm-hmm. she's also, she's in every scene, either doing a vo- the voiceover of the scene, like her inner monologue, or she's engaging with the other actors, and she's awesome. Everyone else is kind of a dud because the story is kind of thin, but as far as, like, performances go, she was better than the teenager from the previous segment. Oh, Yeah. No, I think I think her. I mean, she is obviously the lead in this for the re, for a reason. I mean, all these other ep- episodes we have people. You know, we have Jack Palance and Bill Pullman, and she is the headlining star of this episode, even though she didn't have as big of a career. Whoa, Somebody whoa, whoa. cast her. She was in Dude, Where's My Car as one of the sisters. Mm-hmm. Uh, her and uh, Jennifer. Jennifer uh, Gardner. Yeah. And she also bring that up. Great role. Yeah, she was cast as the original Topanga on Boy Meets World, so she had like a, huh. a potential to have. And she's she's on Fuller House now because she had a role on Full House, so she was like in a bunch of like tween media. It's just not sure. media that I watched, so she's not like familiar to me. I recognized her because I think I'd seen her on some TV here and there. And the thing I remembered her from was she was on Third Rock from the Sun at one point. Um, but, like, no, she's, she does a great, I mean, she's, like, kind of, like, a typical late 90s teenager girl. Like, she she's great for that type of part. I think my annoyance came with more of, like, how the story was written, not so much from her. Yeah. Um, and, and the fact that the, t- the title gives away a lot was sort of frustrating to me. I think instead of being scary that this was going more for, like, the melancholy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At some point, I think it's a pretty, it's a ubiquitous, like, teenager trope to be like, I wish I was dead, or I wish my family wasn't my family, like, um, that Christmas movie. It's a big, it's a big that one. Um, yeah. Theme in well, she, and she realizes after this wreck that she's dead, and she sees, she goes, returns to the vacation home, and it's all burned and in ruins, and we learn that the little brother did torch everybody he like turned on the gas stove and started a big fire and and everybody's sitting at the table pretending that everything is normal and we see a burned version of her and she's 
struggling with the reality of everything. And the mom's like, no, it's just, you know, believe what you want to believe. And like, we'll just go along with we're on vacation forever. And I just thought, well, that's got to be a level of hell. And she's an angsty teenage girl. She didn't deserve this afterlife. Like, I think if I was in that scenario where it's like, oh, we're just going to play house in some kind of limbo for the rest of my life, I'd be looking for looking for the way to cross over. Be like, all right, um, obviously we're dead and we need to move on. So also, let's not like, play summer house for eternity. Yeah, like they're all dead and her little brother is still a douche. Like, right. how yeah. is that fair? Why he would he not hauled off to hell? <laughs> yeah, he fucked, or I'm sorry, he murdered them. Yeah. I hate him. I was outraged by that ending. Not because it was a surprise, but I was like, that kid sucks. Also, the mom just enabling it the whole time. Yeah. I hate that, too. (laughs) It was definitely, it's not a boring short. I mean, these segments, a full episode is like 40 plus minutes long. So each of these stories is roughly around like 20 to 25 minutes, um, depending on how much they were planning for commercial breaks and stuff. And this is definitely, I mean, I wouldn't say don't watch it because it's interesting. It's not boring. Nothing that we watched was boring. I was not looking at my watch or my phone to figure out when this is going to be over or look at other things. So even though this one is not my favorite of the four segments we're talking about, I think the show is really quality and worth looking at, especially if you love horror anthologies, especially if you, you know, you grew up, you liked the Twilight Zone or the Outer Limits, um, or you were, you know, even, this doesn't quite have the tone of Tales from the Crypt. I think that's kind of um, much more hearkening to its comic book origins and has its own unique style. Um, but this, this is good. It's a good, solid, serviceable horror anthology from a time in which there wasn't a lot of great horror television. I mean, the X-Files was pretty much, I think, done by 2001, or at least gone through its final death rattle because the last couple seasons were just terrible. And then you had, um, gosh, you had Millennium, which was kind of, I don't know, personally, sorry if you love that show, I just couldn't get into it. With I love Lance Hendrickson, but there was there just wasn't a lot going on. Like, we, we weren't to the point where we were going to have the great horror television boom that we've been in for the last several years and it's you know Showtime and HBO were starting to put out good stuff you know a couple years after this you were going to get Carnival which ended abruptly and was frustrating but one of the greatest horror television series I think ever like it was so good um you know you had um there was a show called American Gothic that was on in the late 90s that was pretty interesting that had a short run um but there's just it was few and far between. And now it seems like there's an embarrassment of riches. There's like a new series coming out every season. That's something usually pretty good. So this is, this is definitely, and it, it's kind of, if you're feeling nostalgic for the early two thousands, this will hit some of those buttons for you. <laughs> I'll also say that. <laughs> yeah. Cause it, it was funny. Cause I was thinking, yeah, that was kind of a newer series. And then, you know, I, in my older person or getting older person brain, I was thinking, yeah, I wonder if that still feels fresh. And then I looked up, I was like, yeah, this is 20 years old for sure. <laughs> this 
feels 20 years old. So unless anybody has anything else to add about this series or Henry Rollins or anybody else in in the show that we that we saw or discussed, any any final thoughts, anybody? I'm excited to watch more episodes in the future because there's 13 episodes. We covered two of them. I think that there's a lot more to to discuss here, just like as far as the continuity of other like TV actors or people who were like in the midst of their stardom who just had a guest appearance on this kind of like random TV show that didn't get the recognition that it probably deserved. I I definitely remember also watching um, an episode that has Sherilyn Fenn and Luke Perry in it. Luke Perry's in one segment and Sherilyn Fenn's in the second segment. And I remember liking that episode a lot too. So I'm definitely going to go back and revisit that and then check out more of, you know, the series that I, that I didn't already see. I don't know that we'll come back and cover it more, but I mean, that's a possibility. I suppose if we, there's something like we're going to do like a themed episode and there's a story segment that fits into the theme, but it's, it's a solid little series. And with only 13 episodes, you could breeze right through it and see the whole thing and, you know, watch it while it's still available for free on YouTube before, before somebody yeah, complains and takes, takes it down. down. Yeah. Especially, which sucks. Cause like sometimes when that happens, there isn't a streaming service that's going to, you know, take up the hilt and put it on there. All right. Bootlegs your only option. So, um, so check it out now. Yeah. Check it out now. And as... it's, it's definitely worthwhile to check it out. You yeah. Know? It, it's entertaining, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and not just for Henry Rollins's non sequitur one liners. They do. Kind well, they're of, sequitur. They yeah. add they add sort of a goofy charm to the whole thing. Honestly, right. you don't need you don't need them as much as I really enjoy him. And that was what hooked me and drew me to the series was like, oh, Henry Rollins hosted this. Right. Um. I I don't think that they really just, you know, add or detract from the stories, but they are kind of, they add, they add to the overall charm of the show. So with that, um, let's say let's wrap it up. But before we go, I wanted to thank one of our listeners, Jay, who reached out on our Twitter account and suggested a made for TV film that was put out by Disney from 1978 called child of glass. So I wanted to say, thank you, Jay. We are definitely going to check that out. I looked it up and it looks like it's right up our alley. So that could be coming down the road, you know, possibly later this year. I think, you know, we need to confer with everybody, but I think it looks like the perfect kind of thing for the Davenport. And we really appreciate any listener suggestions and feedback. We are not crazy active on Twitter, but I do check it pretty regularly. And if you have anything you want to suggest to us out in the listening audience, you can contact us through Twitter at the Haunted Davenport. Sorry, at Haunted Davenport. And so Haunted Davenport, because of the Twitter limit on letters, has just one D. But you can find us there. And we often post kind of like little teasers about shows we're going to do or articles related to shows we're going to do or just things that are part of the retro horror and sci-fi television universe. And so if you're into Twitter and that's a social media platform that you like to use, you can definitely connect with us there. And we appreciate the participation. It's, it makes us feel good. So thanks to all our listeners for listening, especially if you're, you know, not a family member, we appreciate that too, but it's actually, you know, it's nice when people love what we do and they don't have to, that always feels good. And 
you can check us out next month for a brand new episode. We haven't 100% decided what we're doing, so I won't reveal any spoilers. But again, if you're on Twitter, I might put a little teaser there. But we'll be back with some more great retro horror and sci-fi television in February. And until then, we hope you're all staying well and staying safe and enjoying yourselves in whatever ways you can. Safely. <laughs> Let's go. Ready? From the top. My favorite shows on TV have 12 minutes of advertising. I can't get behind that kind of time. Eat quickly, drive faster, make more money now. I can't get behind that. My kids say, he said to me, and I'm like... And he's like, and she's like, it's all, he's all, she's all. I can't get behind that kind of like English. That'll be six to eight weeks before delivery. The rising oceans, the warming temperatures. The dying polar bears, no tigers in 50 years. Rising poison in the air and water. I can't understand why the price of gas suddenly rises when oil goes up. But takes months to go down long after oil falls. I can't get behind any of that. I can't get behind the gods, who are more vengeful, angry, and dangerous if you don't believe in them. Why can't all these gods just get along? I mean, they're omnipotent and omnipresent. What's the problem? What's the problem? What about the men who say, do as I do? Believe in what I say for your own good, or I'll kill you! I can't get behind that! I can't get behind that! Everybody knows everything about all of us! That's too much knowledge! I, I can't, can't get, get behind be that! using my streets to learn. If you learn to play the drums, you gotta go to a studio, go to a parking lot, for God's sakes! Why are you jeopardizing my life? I can't get behind a student driver. I can't get behind a driver who drives like a student driver. If you're gonna drive an urban assault vehicle, then get off the phone and keep your eyes on the road. Lifetime guarantee? Whose lifetime? Not mine. I haven't that much time left. Let's make it yours. Everybody's got a longer life than me. The leaf blowers. Is there anything more futile? Car alarms. Clap off. Clap on. Spam. Size matters. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Yes, it no, does. it doesn't. No, yes, it, it doesn't. Does. Yes, it does. My yes, phone does. rings. Make millions of minutes. It's a computer. Blues in just an hours. Leave me the hell alone. Eat more. Spend less. The colonel is breakdancing. Give me a break. terms range. I can't get behind any of that. I can't get behind so-called singers. They can't carry a tune. Get paid for talking. How easy is that? Well, maybe I could get behind that. Well, I can't. If you have to fix it with a computer, quantize, pitch corrected, and overly inspected, then you can't do it. And I can't get behind that. I can't get behind a fat ass. Yeah. Bill, can you turn around and do one more? Always can do one more. Let's hit it.